0: Welcome back to the Line Life podcast produced by Transmission and Distribution World and Utility Products. We're bringing you the stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. My name is Amy Fishbach, and I'm the field editor for TD World Magazine. For our March 2022 episode, we're featuring Jeff Laniga of Manitoba Hydro, who shares his utility's experience on monitoring and mitigating unexplained flashovers on HVDC transmission lines.
1: I'm Jeff Flanagan, uh, section head of the Live Line and Electrical Effects section at Manitoba Hydro.
0: Hello, and welcome to the March 2022 Line Life podcast. My name is Amy Fishbach, and I am the field editor for Transmission and Distribution World magazine. Today I'm talking with Jeffrey Leninga, Live Line and Electrical Effects section head at Manitoba Hydro in Canada about measuring and mitigating unexplained flashovers on HVDC transmission lines. Jeff first presented on this topic at the Transmission Distribution Maintenance Management Association Virtual Conference. We then worked together on an article for the April 2022 issue of T&D World Magazine. Thank you for joining us today, Jeff.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: To start, can you describe flashovers to our Line Life podcast listeners and discuss when you first noticed them on your utilities' transmission lines?
1: Uh, Well, in this case, uh, this topic is uh, uh, looking into the flashovers that we experienced on our HVDC transmission lines, which are high voltage direct current, uh, and they're used to transmit power over long distances in Manitoba. Uh, The flashovers are... uh, electrical discharges from energized conductors to ground in some cases those flashovers can cause a uh, an outage in the case of our hvdc system it essentially causes it to restart uh it happens very quickly within uh, uh hundreds of milliseconds so essentially we don't have outages in this case the flashovers have been occurring, to my knowledge, since the inception of these lines, uh, which was in the 1970s. Uh, but it's something that I got interested in in, in my career in the 2000s. Uh, there was the Mantua Hydro International that tried to research these uh, flashovers using traditional technology at that time, such as VHS tapes. Uh, but they did already use solar panels and batteries. Uh, but they weren't able to capture anything except, uh, lightning strikes at that time. So as far as I know, these flashovers have occurred since the inception of the, uh, lines from the 1970s. But, uh, it's been an ongoing issue that continues today and it does have uh, negative consequences.
0: Yeah, and following a flashover, you mentioned that HVDC systems can recover from the faults in a blink of an eye, but there are consequences. Can you describe what can happen as a result of a flashover?
1: Yes, as as I had mentioned, the HVDC system can restart within a few hundred milliseconds, Uh, but the consequences are that for live line work, for example, when we want to do live line work, we actually block. Reclosing on alternating current lines on an HVDC system, they will block the restart. So essentially the system would just shut down after a fault. And that's for the safety of the workers and also to reduce the chances of over voltages, which impact live line workers and approach distances. But the other, so the consequences are that, uh, during that period when we experience these flashovers, which is traditionally from May to October range, with the peak being in July and August type projects, we cannot have safety holdoffs on the line during that time. Therefore, when we have large uh, maintenance, we cannot perform that work uh, during that May to October time frame, which does have uh, consequences in delaying projects. It's also the nicest time of year to work in uh, Manitoba, Canada, so uh, to be outside. And then also, Well, there is. uh, There's a very small, but if a worker were working on the line at the same time as the flashover, there could be an arc flash event, although that risk is uh, very small. uh, But it is still something that could be uh, listed as a concern. And lastly, if we have these uh, arc flashovers occurring on these transmission lines up to uh, 40, a summer can occur then there is a chance you could ignite a, a fire in the vegetation beneath the line so although our uh, customers don't notice these events because there's not even a noticeable blink in the lights uh there are issues which i would like to resolve uh to lower the to lower the cost maintaining those lines and allow us to respond to emergencies at all times of year
0: absolutely and um you mentioned that these transmission lines are located in kind of a remote region. Can you talk a little bit more about um, where those bipole lines um, kind of go through in Manitoba?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, Manitoba is a very large watershed where the water all the way to the western Rocky Mountains drains into uh, into the Manitoba watershed, and then we have water coming from the uh, the east uh, Lake of the Woods area, and then we also have Water from the northern states feeding into Manitoba, so we have a very large watershed in Manitoba, and all that water does end up going. A lot of it ends up going through the Nelson River, where we have a large amount of our generation that generate mainly sent down uh, on HVDC transmission lines. So they're sent. It's from the Nelson River, river of northern Manitoba, uh, and then those HVDC lines come all the way down to southern. Manitoba, uh, not too far from the Winnipeg area, uh, where the power is converted back to alternating current, Uh, the majority of these flash are occurring in mid to northern section of the line in the more remote areas. In those areas, we don't have uh, access to uh, cell phone towers or uh, there's no uh, AC lines that we can tap into to to uh, get power to run monitoring type equipment and such.
0: And then back in 1996, um, you first started to kind of try to capture footage and you talked a little bit about this, but can you um, elaborate on kind of the first attempt to record those flashovers?
1: The first attempt was uh, in cooperation between Manitoba Hydro and at the time, Manitoba Hydro International. And essentially at that time uh, they would have, flown in by helicopter Uh, they installed 12 systems uh, on our hvdc line in the area areas that they thought were of interest at that time and those systems would have been composed of uh, vhs uh, recorders with vhs tapes they already did use solar and uh, solar power and batteries Um, they essentially if there was an event which they would have been required to be notified by uh system control if they had indicated any faults from our fault detectors. They would have had to get to the event within twenty four hours by helicopter to retrieve that. And at that time, as I mentioned, we only uh captured two lightning strikes and none of the uh no anomalous flashovers were captured.
0: And then next, your company worked with AI4 Technologies and AI Speco to install five camera systems in historically active locations. Um, can you talk about what information you retrieve from the daily lidar technology, the environmental sensors, and ten hours of video recording at times of interest?
1: Well, this this system is uh this system is new, so the plot is for myself to be able to access access all the uh data off of a cloud type web server uh but at the time of this project which we just kicked off this past year we had I relied on the uh, AI4 and the AI Speco to retrieve that information for me um they did on the days uh because it takes a lot of power from the systems to retrieve data we didn't go in daily So as to not affect the future recording, but we did go in and retrieve data if there was a flashover detected, which do not occur frequently. So I believe we only went in to retrieve the data for one or two events. So we retrieved the uh, daily lidar information from around the time of the event to know what the clearance was between the conductor and, uh, trees or vegetation or ground at that time. Uh, The environmental sensors, we went in and retrieved the information to know the weather information around the time of the event. So that would have been humidity, temperature, uh, pressure, uh, if there was rain, wind direction, wind speed. Uh, There was also information we could retrieve about solar radiation and uh, particles in the air, particulate matter. And also the ten hours of video that was also uh just due to concerns with uh draining too much power from the system as our interest our interest of time for recording is also during daylight hours when the batteries are being charged, so we had to manage the power conservation of the system uh, with our recording time and data retrieval. Our hope is also that we're not interested, obviously, in capturing these anomalous flashovers during the winter months because they simply don't occur. So as of now, those systems are in what we would call more of a hibernation mode where they are simply just trying to survive our Mm -hmm. severe winter conditions.
0: Talk about how you decided where to install the camera system.
1: Yeah, so essentially every time we have uh, an event, uh, our system control uh, department will analyze each event and determine if it was caused by, uh, lightning or another unknown type of event from equipment failure. So any event that has no explained reason will be uh, categorized as anomalous or unexplained flashover. So I had, uh, information on all of these locations over, over many years. So I basically put all these events into a, uh, a spreadsheet, and I chose areas that historically were the most active, especially in recent years. Uh, So based on analyzing data from these past events, that's how I chose the locations. And then we also had feedback from our linemen of the locations that were the most accessible for them to get in to install Uh, the beautiful thing about this new technology where now we can uh, utilize satellite communications to retrieve data and information is that once the equipment is installed, theoretically, we do not have to go back in with helicopters to uh, retrieve data.
0: So Jeff, how were the linemen involved in the installation of the, the camera systems?
1: Uh, well, essentially, the contractor came uh, from AI, AI Speco and they uh and they worked with our linemen and essentially the linemen were the ones that climbed the tower to install all the equipment under the direction of uh ai specco
0: and then on july 20th 2021 you captured um, a flashover talk about how that footage helped you to understand the flashovers on the transmission lines
1: oh uh, well unfortunately we don't have a lot of data yet so I cannot be a hundred percent sure of exactly how all flashovers are occurring. Uh, I had captured a previous flashover. So we talked about how we use the VHS type technology. Now we did the uh, project with AI4 and AI Speco. In between that, I also tried to use uh security camera equipment, uh, purchased off, off the internet that I tried to do my own project with and I did capture one event during that period, and it but it wasn't in focus. But I did find that that flashover was likely mid span. So when I was notified that we had an event on July twentieth, uh twenty July twenty twenty one, I notified uh, AI Speco immediately, and they were able to download that event for me. And obviously, we were uh, very excited. Uh, that event uh, confirmed. Some of the information that we had already thought and thought we understood, so it did confirm that uh, yeah, these flashovers are occurring during the hottest part of the day, under light wind conditions. Uh, these are are some of the uh, some of the information we already knew, and we capture that the flashover occurred mid-span which was uh useful information as uh we didn't really have an understanding if the events were occurring across insulators or uh, or mid-span so i do want to collect more data obviously as i can't make uh, generalized conclusions over uh, one or two events when we have so i i plan to leave this equipment installed for the next uh, year or two and further monitor obviously there is a cost to equipment like this. So I can't install it as widespread at this time as I would like, but in the future, you know, that would be the aim is to have uh, technology such as this uh, more widely spread for monitoring events on the system.
0: And discuss the process of analyzing the data um, and what else you discovered through your research so far.
1: Well, obviously, the most exciting thing apart the, of the data was to obtain clear imagery of the onset of a an arc flash, a flashover event on the HVDC line on a clear, sunny day uh, at the time that we expected. And uh, that was the most exciting uh, part of the project, because uh, to tell you the truth, I, I thought of this uh, as finding a needle in a haystack. Sure. Uh, uh, so that was my, my first feeling. And then obviously then I was interested in the LiDAR data, which we had never had previously. Uh, and that was very exciting. Uh, this LiDAR technology is a, a fixed point type of system that's, uh, much more affordable and at a, a lower cost than the technology that's used on, uh, on airplanes our fixed wing planes or helicopters for doing a full lidar scans of uh, transmission lines but uh, once we had the lidar information uh, analyzed i guess the first observation we noticed then was that the uh that we weren't getting as many reflections off of the transmission lines as we were the vegetation so it was difficult to see the transmission line so as i explained uh, to you previously we we did have some points on the conductors we also had some more points around where the spacer dampers were uh, so we used what was uh what we call a catenary curve a catenary curve is how we describe uh, how a conductor the only path a conductor can take is described by a catenary curve so if we know how the beginning of the curve goes and the other points we can fit the data to that curve so we did use that approach to uh determine where the conductor would have been in relation to the ground or vegetation. So we were able to do that and determine that the clearance distance between the vegetation and the transmission line was in the 15 to 18 foot range. What was significant about that was the fact that that distance is uh, much larger than what a minimum approach distance is for for a live line worker to work on these transmission lines. It's also a much greater distance than what Nurk would require a utility to clear their vegetation to a transmission line at 500 kV DC in this case. So it is a significant finding. Uh, and then the weather information kind of, yeah. as I already described, it just further supported that. Yeah, there was light winds at the time of this event. Uh, it was the hottest part of the day. The air quality was how we analyze it. But like I said, again, I I hope to have more success this uh, next, this upcoming summer, if our uh, batteries uh, did okay <laughs> during the winter months.
0: Sure. And uh, since you put Bipole 3 into surface in 2018, no unexplained flashovers have occurred. Can you d- describe the difference in construction between this line and the other Bipole lines that were built in the 70s?
1: Yeah, so our uh, our system planning department at Manitoba Hydro obviously knew of these events and wanted to try to ensure that it didn't occur on our, on our new Bipole 3. So what was unique about Manitoba Hydro's Bipole 1 and 2 is for a 500 kV DC line, they actually have one of the highest operating voltage gradients of any 500 kV transmi- HVDC transmission line in the world so they knew that they didn't know exactly where these flashovers were occur, but they took three significant steps to try to mitigate these one was to uh, put longer insulators if the flashovers had been occurring at the insulation that would have helped to mitigate that issue uh, they also built the towers uh, taller to ensure there was more clearance between uh, ground and conductor uh, and obviously that would also reduce the chance of flashovers and uh, lastly they uh, used a three bundle uh, conductor configuration which lowers the voltage gradients at the conductors and also reduces the chance of uh, flashovers uh, in the case of Bipole 1 and 2 we only had a two conductor uh, configuration. So we have found that since the uh, bipolar 3 was commissioned, there has not been one flashover of the uh, anomalous type.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's great results there. Um, and then your company is now undertaking further research. You had mentioned the High Voltage Laboratory. Talk about kind of the current research studies and what you see um, studying in the future.
1: Well, we're just in the uh, beginning steps of initiating uh, further research, but we do, uh, we do plan to try to recreate these events based on the data we've collected, clearances, weather information. We plan to try to recreate these events in, uh, at the Manitoba Hydro, uh, high voltage test facility. Uh, we also would like to look into if there's, uh, any, uh, issues with smoke going on in the summertime analyzing smoke and its impact on the uh, conductivity of air around our 500 kV DC line. So those are the immediate steps I see in the future is firstly trying to recreate these events uh, based on the information we have studying the influence of smoke because it is a Ongoing future concern for liveline workers as we see climate change and the increase of wildfires, etc. Uh, once I recreate these events, uh, we will look at methods. The most the cost, what is the most cost-effective means to try to uh, mitigate these events from occurring in the future?
0: Thank you, Jeff. And do you have any other comments that you want to mention about the unexplained flashovers at Manitoba hybrid Hydro?
1: It's an exciting project. I see myself as a problem solver and luckily there's new technologies available on the market that allow us to, uh, to have eyes where we couldn't in the past and to retrieve that data from anywhere in the world. And, uh, I really do see in the future there's just going to be an increase of uh, abilities to perform monitoring in our, uh, in our systems, whether you have power or communication. So, uh, it was a very interesting project to be part of and I look forward to the next few years and digging a little bit deeper into this issue and hopefully uh, having a future way to mitigate this so that uh, LiveLine work can be performed uh, 12 months out of the year.
0: Jeff, thank you for participating in the March 2022 Line Life podcast, which celebrates the line trade. We hope your experiences will help other utilities to monitor and mitigate unexplained flashovers in the future. To learn more about this topic, visit our website or check out our April 2022 Electric Utility Operations section in T&D World Magazine. This episode of the Line Life podcast was written and recorded by Amy Fishbach. It was produced by John Doberstein. Please follow this show to be updated when new episodes are released and leave a review for us on Apple podcast, head to the show description to see where you can find us on social media. Thank you for listening to the Lion life podcast.